House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, and over in the ditch, we've got Mr. Michael Hawley. Hello, how are you doing, Al? I'm good, I'm good. I'm making national news this week. That's right here, you yeah. and Tucker. Yeah, Tucker Carlson. So in honor of Tucker Carlson not liking that I'm turning people gay every day at a time. Sad, sad. <laughs> you know, and all that stuff, I thought, well, geez, we've, we've got a great guest today. Yeah, the uh, an author of um, his book is called Disaster Rama, and it's Adventures in the Queer Underground, nineteen seventy seven to nineteen ninety seven. Mister Alvin Orloff, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, um, what what got you into um, actually deciding to write a book about this this subject and in this era? Well, two things. Um, First off, uh, I'm getting on in years and my memory is not as, uh, as sharp as it once was. I wanted to get it all down before I forgot. Um, and, uh, I've, I've just turned 60 and, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the memories, they do fade. Um, but mostly I really wanted to, uh, capture what it was like to live through that era. There are a lot of books, um, that, uh, kind of gloss over a lot of the terrors of the AIDS crisis. And 19, you know, 77 to 97. That's pretty much the, the unifying, um, experience of people who lived through those years in, in the LGBTQ community or communities. Um, and, and I thought it was important to, to have a kind of a ground's eye view of what, what it was like to live through that. What do you think people, um, get wrong most about that time period? Well, I think. I'm not sure that people are getting stuff wrong about it as they just don't know about it. I mean, there's like a few like history books, but I mean, who's really going to crack a giant history book about AIDS unless it's something that they already know something about. Um, I wanted to reach out to like the general public, like Mr. 24 year old um, and uh, you know, let them know what it was like. Actually the precipitating incident that got me to start writing was someone who was 24 and just asked me, what was it like when everyone started dying? And, you know, no one had ever asked me that before. People were not really talking about it 10 years ago when I started the book. Now I think there's a little more historical interest just because time has passed and it's a little less of a raw memory for people. Uh, I like that you just turned 60 because so did I. <laughs> and then so uh, um, the, the interesting thing for me was that I, I graduated uh, in 1980, but then I went to Michigan State University and uh, one of my uh, fellow alums, Magic Johnson, when he uh, acquired AIDS, I think that really got uh, a lot of large population more in tune to it. So I was curious about what you thought about that going on and how you living through all of that. Gosh, you know, there was like, there were just years and years and years when I guess maybe like from 1981 to, you know, the time Rock Hudson and Magic Johnson, you know, uh, were kind of revealed as having AIDS when it was something that was pretty much only of concern to the, to the gay community, uh, the, the public at large. Right. Kind of, they kind of, it was kind of an, something you didn't want to think about. And when you did, it was just, you know, you were angry and, and scared and, and people kind of 
you know, we're not investigating what was really happening. And um, yeah, I think, but a few celebrities, uh, you know, coming out as, as being HIV positive really made a huge difference. And then that movie Philadelphia was, uh, was that after that with Tom <laughs> Hanks? Yeah, I think, well, there's also, there's a bit in my book about how there are a lot of the, the early um, stuff about AIDS was kind of portraying gay men as these tragic heroes, the kind of noble tragic heroes. And that was not my experience. It's not that we weren't, oh, I don't know, heroic or tragic, but not, I mean, primarily um, we were, we were kind of happy go lucky young people. And we were pretty determined to keep on being happy go lucky young people through the worst of it. I mean, I, I, people were like on their deathbeds cracking jokes and, um, just refusing to be victims, to refusing to accept that as their identity. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a, it was quite a time, and I guess um, it was also hard for the for Americans because of the um, Reagan era, and and he wouldn't even say the word, and and uh, a lot of confusion um, with that whole time. Do, do you think that had a big influence on how the gay community was treated? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, I would, you know, overhear people. I, I, I mentioned this in the book. I was at the gym and I heard straight guys talking. Hey, did you hear the one about, you know, what does gay stand for? Got AIDS yet? Ha 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 ha. Right. Um, you know, it was, it was very much a time when, when, uh, that sort of mentality was prevailing. It's certainly a huge difference now with the last pandemic with COVID and it being that it, affected everyone didn't matter what their sexuality was and it's pretty amazing how how it's a a different reaction um by the same people that were were doing that to uh gay people back in the uh, 80s for sure you know Mm -hmm. it's quite it's quite a change nowadays what i thought that but if you were conservative it didn't affect you (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was gay gathering at the first part of the you know but that because it got so political, yeah, um, yeah, which is it's it's complete stupidity, all of it. Yeah, you know, take that, Tucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you when you wrote this book, you probably had an idea or a picture in your mind of what you wanted it to come out like and what you want it to get out in the book. Do you think you achieved that? I do. I do. Um... I wanted it to be a fun read. I wanted it to be a fun romp, maybe. Um, I wanted it, people to be able to laugh and uh, kind of experience the humor. Of, uh, the, there was a lot of gallows humor, but also just a lot of regular um, young person hijinks that were going on during that time. And I wanted to convey that. And, you know, I did interviews with about, oh, gosh, six, seven, eight people who um, I didn't know intimately at the time, but who also lived through those years just to kind of see if my experiences were, were fairly typical. And, um, you know, they all gave me their feedback and, and I sort of incorporated that into the book in a sly way by talking about, you know, people were saying this, people were thinking that. And, um, you know, once the book came out, uh, I got a lot of response from a lot of people saying, Oh yeah, that was, that was the world I lived in. So it's a very positive book then. Yeah, I think so. I think it's positive. Mm-hmm. What did you ever get to get any backlash with these, especially lately with such uh, extreme, you know, left and right right now? The you know, there's such a divide and people are very 
uh, let's say, vocal, or at least on social media. Do you well, <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten any backlash because I don't think that, that anyone on the right knows my book exists. It's, um, <laughs> it's a very small publisher. It's a, it's a very small publisher put it out. And well, it's too late now because you're talking to Al. So yeah. Al is <laughs> I've got followers yeah. like Tucker Carlson. <laughs> he likes to be mean. Um, so you never know. Um, but, you know, so at the end of the day, so someone picks up, Disasterama, and and they read it. At the end of it, what is it you hope they take away? That's a very good question. It's going to take me a fraction of a second to think of an answer. Um, <laughs> I'm a pro. You I, I want them to know. I, like I said before, I want them to know what it was like to live through those terrible years, and 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 it was different for different people. I mean, I was very young when the AIDS crisis was going on. When people in their twenties, some of us like me, were were kind of maybe not the most serious people. Um, you know, like I say, we were happy-go-lucky, we were having hijinks, we were, you know, into doing our stupid bands and going out. And um, how do you do that? How do you square, like, wanting to be, like, sexually active and, you know, dating and, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff when you're in the middle of a, of a pandemic, um, a plague, you know, something that's making that very, very hard? Um, it, it's a collision. It's a collision of the exuberance of youth with the reality of mortality. And um, it's it's a tough it's a tough mix. How, how do you think that changed you? Like it, when you look back at it now, when you look back at those times, and 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 you know, of course, the new wave punk sort of thing was going on, but yeah, exactly, you know, um, but at the very end of it, and after you've um, written about it now, and you look back, do you do you notice some things that you would have done differently, maybe? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been so much more responsible. Um, I think a lot of people will say that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done acid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would definitely not have been as, as devil may care. Um, a lot of the book is about what do you do when you're in your twenties and you're pretty much are pretty sure that you're going to die before you hit 30. Cause I spent most of my twenties thinking that I was not going to live to be middle aged. So I didn't save. I didn't plan. I didn't do a lot of things that I, that I probably would it be better off now if I had done? Um, but I didn't know that I was going to live. It was a big surprise. So I finally found out that I was HIV negative. Um, it was like, what? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Well, it was just really, it could, it could, you know, you could have had sex with one person and been test positive. It wasn't, there's, right. there's people I know that were, you know, in the bathhouse every day and that they, they're still alive better, and never yeah. caught it right it's just it's a lot it's just the way it goes you know well the interesting yeah. thing though is what alvin you said is that that you fully expected that you weren't going to make it till 30 right. uh and then probably the people that go into the bathhouse maybe they had that same mentality um why i'm asking that is because my original job was i was a military pilot navy pilot and uh we are on the opposite side we feel like we're um um, immortal, and then we have the, that's the last thing that's going to happen to us. But it's but I have a friend that is doing the same thing. Is says he's he believes he's not going to live for another five years, even though he's younger than me. So he lives that way. So I was curious more about that part. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's two ideas that I held in my head at the exact same time. One is that I'm young, so therefore I'm immortal because a lot of young people just can't even imagine death. And then the other thing is, of course, I'm going to die, so I don't need to plan and 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 be responsible. So, you know, I mean, it was, 
you know, the human mind is capable of amazing, amazing feats of uh, irrationality. And that was one that I, I mastered at a young age. Was <laughs> both of those things at the exact same time, that I was immortal and doomed. <laughs> you know, actually, I had much the same thought, not, not so much because of HIV, I say. It, for me, I just thought that I wouldn't live to 30. It was sort of, I'm a very negative creature and, and I still don't think I'm going to live five years, but from now I have, I've always had that feeling. So, but you know, that's not, well, I'm a centurion. I'm living, I'm still, I'm still immortal. <laughs> well, yeah, you're going to be a hundred years old and still doing stuff, you know, that's correct. Crazy man. <laughs> and when it, when it first was coming to, and I was coming out in the eighties, kind of hanging out the, um, I was lucky because I had a, an older guy that took me to the clubs in Vancouver. And one of the first clubs we went to, we looked and it was huge, a couple hundred people in there. And, and he said, look at half this crowd here. They're HIV positive. And he sort of Whoa. scared me um, at the beginning. So I was kind of a little bit on edge at the beginning. So, uh, But I, I think that there was a lot of misinformation, just like there is now with COVID, there's a lot of things, you know, it's the gay disease, it's the gay cancer, and people had different ideas, and and they didn't really know what it was. Um, did, did you have a, a any particular long-term relationship that you were sort of in during that time? Um, no, um, I was pretty promiscuous. Um, I did have a very best friend who I met when I was 17, and uh the, the Disasterama is also um, a tale of our friendship. It's about me and my friend Michael Collins, who later changed his name to this, the stage name Diet Popstitute. Um, and he was, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was just one of those amazing characters. Like everybody who met him was beguiled. Even people who, you know, little old ladies, you know, children, cats, everybody who met him was sort of beguiled because he had this huge larger than life personality. I'm kind of an introvert and he was just like everyone he met, he would immediately be like trying to figure out by asking them, you know, where are you from? What are you into? Why are you like that? And he would start like psychoanalyzing people and telling, you know, the problem with you is, and, or, you know, I love you because da 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 right away. He just had this way of instantly connecting with people. And um, so I sort of like uh, was he was my best friend and we just did everything together from the moment we met until he died in 1995. And um, he died of a long, a long struggle with, with AIDS. And uh, it really changed him way more than it changed me, because when he started out, he was a very angry young man. He was from a working class Irish uh, Catholic mill town in Massachusetts. And he came to San Francisco to be punk rock and a poet. And he was just very, very aggro, as the kids would say. And as he got sick, he kind of reinvented himself as kind of a cheerleader for um, the queer community. He became very responsible. He, he became clean and sober. He uh, was kind of an amazing, not a drag queen exactly, more of a club kid. I don't know if you know the oh, terminology, yeah. but there were these kids who just went out to clubs every night dressed in the, the craziest outfits they could think of. Um, and kind of lived to be these exotic creatures. And he sort of became like that, but also a cheerleader for the community. And um, wow, yeah, he was, he just did a complete, a complete 180, while at the same time maintaining his kind of almost exuberant um, extroversion. Hmm. 
Yeah. How how did that how did the death of uh, his death change you? Well, gosh, I went I went into a depression, and um, you know, I I was uh, gosh, I guess in my mid thirties. And again, I hadn't really planned for a future because I had the thought that I was going to die too. And so suddenly in my mid thirties, I was hit with, a, Oh, by the way, you're not going to die. And the person you'd plan to spend the rest of your life with is no longer here. So I was kind of a mess for a few years. Um, you know, it's not that I did anything like newsworthy in my messiness. Um, I just didn't really uh, know what to do with myself. And, um, then I kind of had like a flash. Oh, by the way, you've always been a bookworm. You've always loved writing. So I started writing and, um, you know, started churning out novels and I got a job in a bookstore and then I became a manager of a bookstore. And now I own a bookstore and I just kind of immersed myself in the literary world. Um, because I sort of needed a new place in which to, in, in which to be. Um, I, I couldn't really be part of the world that he'd been. He was very much part of the performance theatrical drag world, and and that was wasn't really me. I don't, I'd only ever been part of that because he was so into it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, um, was there a particular thing that happened or event that made you start writing then? A particular event? No, not really. Um, yeah, it was just it's something that I'd always been. You know, having always been a bookworm, I'd always kept in the back of my mind that I could start writing. And, um, you know, the, the years I spent with Michael, what had I been doing? Not writing. I'd been writing a little teeny bit for zines, you know, these kind of self-published zine, you know, tiny Xerox magazines that punk rockers used to make, or maybe they still do. Um, so I would, I would write zines, but most of the time in that period, I was working as a DJ. I was working as a stripper. I was busy being a club promoter for Michael's club, the, the club institute. And, um, so I was sort of like rediscovering something that I'd always had in me, the, the, the writing. Yeah. Yeah. I think Michael was a stripper too for a while. <laughs> well, and? <laughs> and, and, and let's just say it didn't last very long. One week. Um, they got married to an Italian woman. I'm, I'm stuck now. Cement galash is the whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> just terrible. So, um, well, it's interesting, but I think that when you write stuff, um, even if it's not your own story, but this has a lot of you in it, right? So uh, when, when you do that, you know, over the years, and even myself and, and Michael writes, I know that you put a little bit of yourself into it in different places, and you share a lot of your feelings, things that are important to you, you know, oh, to, yeah. you know, emotions and stuff like that. Does that, that. That takes a lot of courage. That's why I asked if there was some sort of thing that all of a sudden you're well, I'm just going to do it because it takes a lot of courage to not only write it down, but then to mm -hmm. also put it out there so everybody can read it. And these days, you, everybody and their dog has access to you, really. I mean, they can all say something or, or, you know, bad reviews or say mean things if they want. So uh, th that's kind of what I was um, getting at, if, if what gave you that courage to decide to publish something like this. Well, Having been, having come out of the closet in the 1970s, I already kind of, in order to be able to do that back then, you had to have a very well-developed sense of, I don't care what people think of me. You know, it's like you already, you know, the public was overwhelmingly homophobic back in those days. And so, you know, gay people would just kind of be like, oh, you know, I don't care what they think of me in Peoria. I don't care what Anita Bryant thinks of me. Um, and so I sort of still have that, I think. I still have the, 
the idea that it doesn't really matter what the outside world thinks of me, even though the outside world is now my world. Um, you know, I kind of stopped caring what, what people would think a long time ago. But you yeah. said that uh, you, you admitted that you're an introvert. Um, oh, yeah. So, so, maybe, uh, so would that be um, uh, a benefit to you then, you think? Uh, or, you know, like, I'm kind of like in the middle. You know, like, and I think the part of the, um, my publishing is I always thought it was the extrovert side of me. But so I do see more and more introverts, mm-hmm. like, enjoying that. Oh gosh, there's a whole introvert pride movement now. Introverts are closet <laughs> and you know demanding that people respect their introversion. Um, so yeah, it's a, where do they have the pride parade for introverts? Is it inside a house? <laughs> it has to be in cover. I mean, uh, oh, it's terrible. I'm an awful person. Anyway, um, well, that's fantastic. So where do you want to go with this writing and 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 this? Where do you where do you hope this book takes you? Like, are you opening hoping to open eyes of, of people that maybe didn't realize what it was like? Yeah, definitely. And and the people who I have talked to who have read it, who weren't part of that world, you know, who didn't live through it, um, they definitely have told me that, that it's, it was eye-opening for them, that they that they didn't really... And I also wanted to build sympathy, not just open eyes, but also because you can open eyes in a way that doesn't build sympathy. I also wanted people to to, you know, feel sorry for me, <laughs> uh, you know, understand what we've been through. I mean, every now and then, you know, you hear people talking out gay, white men, they're so privileged, you know, and, um, you know, most of the, of my life living through, uh, you know, the homophobic reaction to AIDS and even the pre AIDS homophobia really hasn't been like that. I think, and I think kids today don't even know what that was like. They just don't know what that you know right. you're old when you say kids yeah. today. Well, it's true, but it, it it goes fast, but you don't realize how fast it's going, I think, mm-hmm. for myself. I just think that, you know, all of a sudden you're – you're you're out and about and it's the 80s and madonna's running around on stage and now all of a sudden madonna's a grandma and the kids are all using apps and not going to clubs right so um it's changed a lot do you think it's changed for the better oh i think it's a matter of taste um you know i personally could live with not having a, a, a smartphone i don't like looking at apps. I don't like doing, I like reading the newspaper. I miss turning pages. I work in a bookstore. I like to, you know, I'm kind of a 20th century creature. Um, but surprisingly, you know, a lot of young people are that way too. They, you know, they, they love books. They like records. They like, they like the, you know, the ritual of, you know, looking at the, the back cover of the record and pulling it out and putting it on the stereo. And, um, you know, I think, I think maybe it's just a question of taste, whether or not you like the olden days or, or the contemporary world better. Yeah. Are you hoping for a better political world or you're hoping that things like this will get better? I don't know. I, I, I don't think I can predict the future very well. Um, you know, I never, I never saw so much of what's happened coming. Um, I kind of, I kind of, I, I wouldn't even venture to guess. Mm. And then the COVID, then the twist with the COVID comes. Right, you know? right. No, no idea that Trump was going to happen. No idea about COVID, you know. And and I should have thought about COVID, right? Because, you know, I knew that there were disease, you know, I knew that plagues and, and pandemics were real. Um, but you know, I think it's partially is how we're raised is um, the history books that I grew up with. 
you know, there'd be a big chapter on World War One, but there was like one sentence on the influenza epidemic that killed twice as many people. You know, it's just for some reason our, our history doesn't focus on on that as much as it might. Hmm. Are there any particular um, um, people that you um, think were kind of heroes during that there during the era that you wrote about? Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, I would say every every nurse in every in every AIDS ward and every emergency room um, who I came in contact with was a total hero. Uh, they they went so far out of their way to to be compassionate and and there for everybody. Um, I almost, I got almost get teary just thinking about how great they were. Um, and then of course you know the the political people in ACT UP and Queer Nation who were you know putting themselves out on the streets. I did a little bit of that. I do. I went to protests, but there were people who actually endured meetings to uh, set up the protests. And those meetings for me were much harder to deal with than, than, the, than, you know, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather like face police wielding batons and charging me than to deal with like those meetings where everybody's kind of persnickety and like attacking each other for not being, saying the right thing. Um, the planning meetings were, were really, uh, were, were more than I could handle. So the people who endured that in order to make ACT UP and Queer Nation happen have my un, my undying gratitude. What's your feeling on, on the on the usage of, of the word queer now? I know a lot of people, a generation behind me, don't like it, and and I get I get a lot of emails. It's, it's funny because when uh, we get talked about and stuff like that, and they'll say queer and that, and I get emails and messages from people that are a little older than me, and they're like. I'm going to write the paper. I'm going to complain. And it's like, no, no, I would just hold off. It seems like a lot of people have have kind of adopted that. Um, What's your feelings? Well, I feel like my generation adopted queer in order to be bratty and to set ourselves apart. So here we're reaping, we're reaping the benefits of that now is that, uh, is that we annoyed people by being bratty and wanting to be queer (laughs) for the day. Um, But, you know, the new generation is all coming along and annoying us by insisting that, you know, by changing all their pronouns and, you know, it's, it's every generation has its, its thing that it wants to impose. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is, I guess. Yeah. Do you ever look back at your writing? Um, you've written quite a few books now. Do you ever look back at any of your writing and want to change it? If I was able to, I would just never finish anything. I would constantly be revising, revising, revising because it can always get better. Um, that's just the nature of, of literature is that it's, it's, it's never perfect. And I, I would love to be able to do that. But of course, that's not really how the world works. So you have to at some point just say, you know, good enough and then, and then release it into the world. You know, that's um, funny when you say that because for me, when I write, uh, I consider myself more of a researcher. So I, when I write, if there's a typos or, Peak, peak, and peak. I always got P-E-A-K, P-I-Q-U-E, all these peaks. So my editor just rips me apart, and it doesn't bother me <laughs> just because I'm not a writer. I'm a, you know, more of a researcher. So it's interesting to hear that. Yeah. yeah. And even just using a different word, you know, if saying, uh, you know, even, even a synonym, like just changing it, but the flow of the sentence works a little better, you know, or it can be even the most minor little stylistic thing. Oh, I should have used a semicolon there. That would have been so much more elegant. Oh, okay. um, I, I think all sorts of stuff like that. And, um, you know, what was your favorite book that you've written? Well, Disasteron was my most favorite. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
more more complete. So you were in a you were in a teenage uh, punk band. Well, I was in a band called the Blow Dryers that my best friend from high school, Jennifer Blow Dryer, um, started. <laughs> was that was, her real name? No. <laughs> if your family invented the Blow Dryer, that's why she's the... Yeah. She's not, no. um, yes, no, she, she named herself that because a lot of punk people were calling themselves, you know, like, I'm Johnny Savage. I'm, you know, they would come up with these names that were very uh, kind of... I'm going to have to go ahead and say pretentiously uh, anti-social. And so she wanted to do something the opposite because she's kind of contrary. And um, we're still friends now. She, she lives in New York and she's, she's just written a book. Um, and uh, Jennifer Bloodrider, look it up. Uh, so yeah, she's um, had this band and I wrote lyrics for them. And um, that was really my first writing experience was hearing her sing my lyrics to people. I wrote this song called Clone Me. Because I was I was kind of a homely teen, so I thought I would never have a gay lover unless somebody cloned me. I would I would be my own lover. And then I had a song called "I'm Tired of Reading Up on Life" because I was an introvert and I wanted to just stay inside and not even read about the outside world. Um, but then the 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 band that really uh, got me on stage was the Popstitutes, which was Michael Collins slash Diet Popstitutes band, um, which was kind of this gigantic frothing chaos of anarchy with like 17 people on the stage and, you know, writhing around in glitter and half nude. And um, he, and his, he did the music mostly with tape loops, but then there was also a live accordion, live piano, live saxophone from this guy, Brad. And um, that was, that was kind of more almost like being in a performance art troupe rather than a band, but it was, uh, it was an experience. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but you know, <laughs> did it. What's your most memorable experience that you wrote about in this book? Oh gosh, I guess getting the, getting AIDS, the test for HIV and that, you know, that day was just so harsh for me because at the same time that I got my negative result, my best friend got his positive result, And it was just, you know, the, the universe, the floor, the only time in my life that I've actually felt that feeling like the ground dropping beneath you and like, you're just falling that's the only time I've ever really felt that. How how is it with with the reaction of some of the? I remember some of the uh, religious uh, nut wings, you know, talking about well, it's God's punishment on you, and you get what you deserve, and all that stuff. How how are you with religion now? Well, I wasn't raised religious, so it didn't it didn't really affect me at all. I didn't really think about you know secular Jews. You know, we didn't really worry about what the fundamentalist Christians thought about us. Um, so, hmm. so, so um, what's next now after disaster Rama and you get this all out and running and uh, what, what do you got coming up next? Um, I've got another novel that I can't think of a title for about a very passive aggressive barfly who just needles everyone. Who, it, it's a comedy um, who just needles everyone around him to the point where he, uh, he gets thrown out of his apartment and has to find another place to live. And is constantly just like battling his own, his own passive aggressive desire to, to annoy people. Um, so, you know, there's that. And um, <laughs> just use my name. <laughs> there you go. And Tuck, Alan Tuck. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Tucker. Um, wow. Great. Now, so are, you're, you're not really, do you do social media a lot? Do you like to have the readers or fans yeah. kind of interfere? interact with you that way? Or? Yeah, I, get, I get a lot of, a lot of uh, mail from people who read the book. And um, also because I 
I'm the proprietor of a bookstore. I'm behind the counter and people can come up and tell me what they thought about the book. And a lot of people come up and tell me their story. Like they're like, I, they, you can almost see it in their eyes. They need to talk about it because they haven't talked about it. They've never told anyone their story. And um, I will say everyone should write a memoir. You know, sometimes maybe it doesn't need to be a full book. Maybe you just want to write, you know, an article or, you know, a short story, just something to get yourself out there. Cause I, I can see it in people's eyes that they need to talk about it. And, um, hmm. you know, I'm happy to listen too. I'm always happy to hear what people want. So Alvin, uh, with that and uh, why, uh, with Al and I, we like to write about serial killers. What does that mean about us? <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Well, um, so how how would you like people to get a hold of you? Let's talk about, do you have a website? Do you have... Um, oh, yeah. I've got a website, alvinorloff.com, and there's a link there. You can send me an email. And um, I haven't gotten any hate mail yet, so we'll see. We'll see what this... Well, we're going to work on that, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, and so your bookstore. So whereabouts do you have a bookstore? Do you want to give that a little... little... Yeah, it's, on, it's, uh, it's called Fabulosa Books. It's on Castro Street in San Francisco um, in the heart of the neighborhood. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful street um, with we've got this gorgeous 1920s theater, the Castro Theater. Um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a great store to work in because it's um, it's in the same spot as a historic LGBT bookstore from the 80s, uh, a different light. And um, you know, we've just got so many great writers living in the neighborhood. It's it's kind of amazing. Are you are you supporting a lot of gay writers, even if they're not in San Francisco? People that oh yeah, if yeah, they want to sell their book through you, you'll oh yeah, yeah. We, we try to we try to we try to have you know everything <laughs> we can. It's a small store, yeah. Of um, but you know we try to have a good a good array of things, not just local people. Um, yeah, and and there's an audience for it here in San Francisco. I mean, I know it's super tough if you live in like some little town in Texas. I mean, people come in, you know, people visit San Francisco from all over the world, of course, and a lot of people come into town too for the the Pride celebrations in June. And people come in with these sad stories, like not even just like there's no gay bookstore in, in my my state. It's like there's no bookstore in my town. People, <laughs> yeah. Well, do you do book, book signings as well there? For oh, yeah. Local authors? Yeah, we do. Yeah. You mean there are gay people in San Francisco? I've never heard that. <laughs> that must be new. Oh, anyway. Well, of course, we're going to have everything up, up on our website so people can find you with one click and, and all that. How how was COVID for you um, as far as writing? Did it Does it affect you? Do you get, you know, just the emotions? Like just all this insane stuff. You know, you have Trump with the hair and you got all the, you know, drinking bleach and COVID and you got all this stuff and tension going on. Does that get in your way, writing? Um, yeah, it, it does sort of, um, just because, you know, well, during the Trump presidency, I was addicted to the news. I just couldn't believe what was happening. So every day I was having to, you know, focus, yeah. uh, you know, and then I would uh, reading after you read the news, then you have to recover because it was you know, everything that was happening was so crazy, which, you know, that hasn't really gone away, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been a news hound, you know, in terms of, of having to read the news and keep up with current affairs and all that. So yeah, that, that takes up a lot of time, um, that, that could have gone to writing. I'm a very slow writer. Oh my gosh, it takes me forever to write anything. Um, you know, here I am 60. I think I've written four books. So that's what, you know, that's, it's yeah. maybe a decade of books, something like that. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, wow. I'm well, what, what makes it so tough for you to write? Just, is it just tough to put the words down, get your emotions out or? 
it's not even the emotions. It's just, it's, I think it's the tinkering. I like to tinker with language and I like to hear the way a sentence sounds in my mind and the way it sounds when I read it aloud. And I also like rewriting. I mean, I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And so, you know, mm. even after I've written a full draft, you know, there's gotta be, you know, there, as I said before, there's like an infinite number of improvements that could be made. So I just have to keep going and, um, you know, wait until I'm finally somehow or other, uh, can you convince myself to put it out into the world? So you need a dose of me where I just write it down and give it to the editor. <laughs> I wish I could get that. If you could bottle that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. No, it's a tough thing to do, but there is a point where you go just kind of call it quits and say, that's it. Done. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you won't, you know, it, it keeps on going. And then it's also, I find that there's a certain, um, rhythm and feeling or, perhaps um, life to a book that you're, that you're writing. And there's a certain point where it changes. So if you leave it too long, it no longer feels the same as it did when you were writing at the beginning, you know, the magic. Yeah. For one thing, it could get, finally it does get boring for you to read the same thing over and over (laughs) and revise the same thing over and over. And also it's sort of like cooking. Like if you're cooking and you keep cooking something and you're like, Oh, this soup could use a little more of this, a little more of that with more of the other thing. Oh, I need to do this. You know, eventually you, you end up wrecking the soup. There's there's no way. Yeah. 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 I do that a lot. So wreck soup. That is that's (laughs) anyway. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure. I've I've enjoyed having you on and I hope that the, um, the book, it looks like it's been doing okay and I hope it continues to do good for you and, 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 and get out there with your book signings and everything. And I hope it all goes well for you and the bookstore and, and everything. So um, we appreciate you being here. Now the book we're talking about is Disasterama and the guest is the author, Alvin Orloff. Thank you for being here. All right. Well, thanks for having me Alan. Nice speaking with you. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.